Well, we are currently in a series uh, called Wiki Wisdom, Timeless Truth in a Wayward World. And in this series, we are exploring what it means to be wise. And we are using uh, the book of Proverbs as our guide to wisdom. And uh, in fact, the first four verses of uh, Proverbs explains the aim of the entire book. And Pastor Brian dove into this a little bit last week, but I'd like to read the first four verses for you uh, again this morning. Uh, check this out. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, uh, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. If we want to become wiki wise, the Proverbs provide us with helpful tweet length wisdom for us to follow. And so what we are going to be doing today is diving into one of the major themes of the book of Proverbs. And that theme is the wise person versus the fool. The wise person versus the fool. And the script reading this morning is uh, a smattering of Proverbs all over the place. And they all lean into this idea of wise person versus the fool. And so our script reader this morning is uh, Bill Hale. And what we do here is we stand and we face the center of the room where scripture is read because we believe that the scriptures are, are so terribly important for our faith. So go ahead, Bill, when you are ready. We're at 10.14, those who were following. Wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. 13.4. The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. 21, 25, and 26. The sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. 11, 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. And finally, 12.15. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Thanks, Bill. You can take a seat. So the, the Proverbs that we just heard are uh, actually all written in a distinctive style, uh, and that distinctive style is called compare and contrast. And all those folks that are English majors got excited this morning because we're talking about grammar and stuff. It's so great. Um, 
It's called compare and contrast. And compare and contrast is actually one of the most popular styles of writing in the book of Proverbs. Uh, I, got, I have some numbers here for you. Um, the book of Proverbs contains a total of 915 verses. And 173 of them are written in the compare and contrast style. And so if we do a little math, which I'm terrible at, uh, that comes out to about one of every five is a compare and contrast proverb. And, and the point here is that's actually a lot. And so we should kind of have our ears perked to see, well, why does this matter, compare and contrast. So what does compare and contrast mean? What's the definition? Here's a definition for you. It is pertaining to a written exercise about the similarities and differences between two or more people, places, or things. And basically, in, in the book of Proverbs, the writer will bring two different and sometimes even competing ideas together in, in one proverb, and in so doing, a third idea will actually emerge from the comparison. Now, if you're thoroughly confused, I decided I would help you this morning, and I would like to share a proverb from the wisdom of Pastor John, if you're okay with that. I spent many hours on this, um, but here it is. Go ahead and throw it on the screen. Those who think themselves healthy eat kale, but the wise decline their dinner invitation. <laughs> Can I get an amen? All right. <laughs> the health people are freaking out right now. What? Uh, but the first statement is, you know, kale is actually healthy for us. I know some of us are in denial, but it actually is. It's healthy for us, and healthy-minded people tend to eat kale. The second is that if you're eating dinner at a kale eater's house, dinner can be, I don't know the word, maybe a bit rough. It can be difficult. And then this third thing emerges, this third idea, and it is this. Kale is disgusting. It is awful. Um, but this is a brilliant example of a compare and contrast style uh, of writing. Now, with the compare and contrast style of writing, the Proverbs, uh, in the Proverbs, there is a consistent theme that runs through all of these compare and contrast writings. And that theme is the wise person and the foolish person. Um, the compare and contrast usually is comparing and contrasting wisdom versus folly and pitting them against each other nearly in every single one. And now I thought it may be helpful to at least define what do we mean by wisdom and, and then what do we mean by foolishness or a, a fool. And so here's a definition for wisdom. Wisdom is the art of being successful of forming the correct plan to gain the desired results. Its seat is the heart, the center of moral and intellectual decision. So wisdom is essentially the ability to know what a person wants out of their life and the ability to know how to navigate their life in such a way that they get what they want. Now, how many of us in this room would consider ourselves planning people. We love plans. How many of us go on vacation and we have to have every minute planned along the way? Any of us have that? 
hold your hands in shame. I'm just kidding. Um, but there's, there, there are planning people in, in our lives, and these people, they have a roadmap for every single thing that's going on in their lives. They know exactly when they're going to wake up every day. They know exactly what kind of cereal, how many cornflakes are going to make it into the bowl, how long it's going to take them to eat it, and they know when their head is going to hit the pillow at the end of the day. They plan their entire lives. And it is the kind of people that know what they want and then they know how to achieve what they want. Uh, that's a planning person. Now, my brother-in-law, um, when he was in high school, he desperately wanted to be, uh, he wanted to go to West Point. And if you don't know what that is, it's, it's a famous army officer a school. It's an academy. You can get your bachelor's degree there. And, and West Point, by the way, is not exactly the easiest place to get into. It is incredibly difficult. And, and in fact, there's actually not really a specific list of things that you need to have in order to go to West Point. It's kind of abstract. You kind of have to just work really hard and then see what happens. But my brother-in-law really wanted to go to West Point. And so he created a roadmap for himself. And that roadmap looked like this. He worked incredibly hard at his schooling in high school. He worked incredibly hard, straight A's. If there was an advanced class to take, my brother-in-law took that class and he got straight A's through and through. In his spare time, he would be calling and writing letters to senators and house representatives and he'd be requesting letters of recommendation from them in his off time. And then on top of that, he would volunteer intentionally in his, commu in his community and then write that down so he could pad his basically uh, uh, resume to West Point. And he played all of the cards that he had the best way he possibly could. It was all planned out. And then one day, the letter came in the mail and it said he was accepted and he went to West Point. In some sense, this is what wisdom looks like. Wise people are people who know what they want and they can form plans to achieve what they want. And some of us this morning are probably thinking, okay, but that doesn't sound terribly Jesus-y or anything. I'm not really tracking. But you see, there's a difference between wisdom and then wisdom from God. There, there's a difference between the two. Because wisdom from God is the ability to see what God wants out of their lives. And then the ability to follow God down the path to achieving what God wants out of their lives. That is the difference. Now, I often hear a, a phrase, and the phrase is this. God closed the door. Have you heard this phrase? God closed the door. You know, it, the weather has been terrible, and I was pretty sure that God wanted me to move to California, but I guess God closed the door. Um, I really wanted to go to that school, but it turns out God closed the door. I, I feel like God is calling me to be a missionary, but I think God has closed that door. And there's not really anything wrong with this phrase in particular. Sometimes 
The things that you and I want are not the same things that God wants. There is a difference between the two sometimes. But here's the thing. Those with wisdom from God probably don't use that phrase. They probably don't use that phrase. Because those with wisdom from God know what God wants for their lives. They know it. And those with wisdom from God know that God doesn't change his mind along the way. God doesn't hold up a just kidding sign and then turn you into a different direction. God has a plan for your life and the wise know what it is. God doesn't close doors. God doesn't close doors. God wants us to have the perseverance and the stamina and the prowess to follow along with what God wants. And if that means kicking through doors, that's what we do. And this is what wisdom from God looks like. Now, what about foolishness? What does it mean to be a fool? Uh, here is a definition for you. A fool is a person who neither has an end goal in mind nor has the, competen the competency to reach that goal. Biblically speaking, a fool then is, is a person who has closed their mind off from what God wants out of their lives and refuses to try to discern how to do that or to follow God to achieve what God wants. I think Jonah in the Bible, in some sense, is a great example of a, a fool in this definition. Jonah knew exactly what God wanted for his life, but what did Jonah do? He went the other direction. He took off. He ran away. It's what fools do. And it's not all that uncommon uh, for a fool to find themselves in the belly of a fish, metaphorically speaking, right? We've all seen it. So the compare and contrast Proverbs seek to display the difference between a wise person and a fool, and they do it in five distinct ways, and I'll throw them up there for you right now. They do this in five distinct ways. Laziness versus diligence. Having the energy and ambition to work for your goal, or not, to be lazy and not. Uh, the poor versus the wealthy. Not getting distracted by other goals or lesser priorities or wealth or whatever it may be. Money, reputation, comfort, security. Uh, the proud versus the humble. You know, not letting one's ego contaminate what God is doing in their lives. Wicked versus godly. Keeping our eyes firmly fixed on God and God's plans and not faltering or going a different direction. And then there's this general category where the, where the uh, Proverbs basically goes straight to fool versus wise. Literally not losing sight of what God has for us. And, and the person that is a fool does that. And of these five distinct ways, there are three big barriers, I think, that emerge um, in the compare and contrast Proverbs, uh, thinking about foolishness and wisdom. And the first barrier is this. The fool uh, speaks over listening. Speaking over 
listening. And you hear this over and over in the Proverbs. The one that can't control their tongue is a fool. Fools will use their tongue and they will fail to use their ears. Um, The wise person will hold their tongue and listen. And listen intentionally. And try to understand either what God is saying or what someone else is saying. And listen well before they speak. Um, Second big barrier to wisdom. Exalting over humbling. A fool will seek to exalt themselves, to raise themselves up, to show their ego, to win. They will try to make themselves look good at any cost over and over and over again. And the Proverbs say that that person is a fool. Instead, wisdom says to humble yourselves, to be humble. You know, there is a phrase that people use um, before they speak and, and, or they say something, and they'll say something like this. They'll say, you know, I could be wrong, but dot, 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 I could be wrong. And I love when people use that phrase because that is a humble phrase. You know what? I'm going to throw something out there. It's coming for me. I'm not saying it's better. It might be worse. I could be wrong, but here is my thought. I could be wrong. Humility. The wise person is constantly humbling themselves. It's what makes us wise. The third big barrier, consuming over producing. Um, the, the Proverbs say that the, the, uh, the fool will actually spend their time in desire and they'll be desiring and desiring and desiring and it will overtake them and they will try to consume everything that they can. Consuming, consuming, everything is sucked into them. Maybe you've experienced a person like this actually. Some people come to church to consume. We're here to actually get something out of the community. Some which the, the Proverbs would say the wise person would come to produce, to give, to grow. You see, there's a difference between taking and then giving. And the wise person always chooses to give before they would ever take. Now let me change gears here a minute um, with compare and contrast because Paul in the New Testament actually employs the compare and contrast in one of his letters. And his compare and contrast is actually between a wise person and a fool. And it's interesting what he does with it. And I think you should see it. Here is the passage. And Paul is writing this in Corinthians. And he's writing it to the the church of Corinthians, the leaders of Corinthians, or or of Corinth. And the leaders, uh, they're essentially boastful. They're challenging Paul's authority. And Paul says, okay, here's what I'm going to write back. And this is what he says. He says, we, Paul, are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. You know, I imagine that there's not a lot of snark in the Bible, but I think this is one of those moments where there might actually be. I read it this way. It's, Paul says, you know, we're fools, but you, no, 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 you are so wise in Christ. You're so wise. And, and, and you know, I'm weak, we're weak, but you, you are so strong, leaders in Corinth. You're so strong. You know, you are so honored, and we are dishonored. I imagine there's some snark there. 
And his compare and contrast that Paul is using actually makes a larger point. That the people that would consider themselves Christ followers, people that would consider themselves totally sold out for the gospel, for Jesus, dedicating everything they have to Jesus, those people are not considered wise sages in the world. Those people are considered fools to the world. See, Paul flips it. See, wisdom from God and wisdom from this world are actually not the same thing. Wisdom is having a goal and actually having the ability to achieve that goal, but the goal is the difference between a Jesus follower and the rest of the world. For Jesus followers, the goal is not the same as the goal for the rest of the world. And so what are the goals for the rest of the world? What does it mean to be wise in the world? Well, there's a lot of things, right? What does it mean to be wise? Well, it means, you know, wisdom would say you need to build a nest egg, right? A nest egg is wise. It's a good idea. Wisdom would say buying a house is a good idea. Wisdom would say making money and then trying to make more money would be a, it's a good idea. You should try to make money, maybe as much as you can. Wisdom would say in our culture that the earlier one can retire, the better. The earlier we can retire, the better. Wisdom would say that comfort is very important. Pursue comfort. It is wise to be comfortable, to live a comfortable lifestyle. Wisdom would say safety, being safe is really important. A safe person is a, is a wise person, and being as safe as possible is a good thing. It is a wise thing. Protecting our families is wisdom. Making it to the top of the food chain, trying to become a boss at your work, that is a wise, good thing. And it's not like all these things are bad, right? They're not all bad. It's not bad to have a nest egg. It's not bad to retire early. It's not bad. But wisdom from God has a different goal. And sometimes wisdom from God interferes with wisdom from the world. So what does wisdom look like? What does it look like for Paul to be wise? And I want to turn back to this 1 Corinthians passage. Let me reread that first verse again. He says, We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. And then he goes on to say, This is what true wisdom looks like. Are you ready? To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And what does Paul say we should do? What is wisdom? 
to imitate me. Imitate me. See, wisdom from God looks a lot like foolishness to the world. To, to be a Christ follower is to be a fool in this world. I, I hesitate to use this word, but it's the only fitting word. Radical. It is radical. Wisdom from God is radical. It is so wildly different from our culture, from the way we're expected to live. It is contrary often to most of our societal norms. It is radical. God calls us in Jesus to place our priorities differently than the rest of the world. God calls his people to a life that is willing to constantly keep preference for the least of these in our world. The poor, the widow, the fatherless, the refugee. And God calls us to sacrifice every rational thing in our lives to do so. Because in so doing, in so living a wise life in God's kind of wisdom, foolishness to the world, we proclaim the gospel to the whole world. You know, if we're honest, the life of Jesus was not exactly a wise life according to the world. Jesus' life was radically different from the culture of his day. Jesus, from the world's wisdom, lived a life of a fool. He was not rolling in great paychecks. He was constantly associating himself with the outcasts of his community. He ate with tax collectors the poor, the unclean. Jesus spent his life with the total losers of society. And then Jesus goes to a cross, perhaps one of the most foolish things a person can do. The only people that made it to a Roman execution stake were the real screw-ups of society, the real losers. That's where they ended up. They ended up on a cross. And it is there he gave his life and he died and he died as a fool. His disciples were like, you know what? This whole thing was a lie and many of them walked away. Jesus lived his entire life completely upside down from the wisdom of this world. And it is in Jesus' foolish life and death that God chose to redeem it. And you know what? Jesus calls you and me to follow in his steps. To take up our own crosses. To be fools for Christ. You know, the earliest Christians, I think, are always our best example of what it means to, to really be a Christ follower. And the earliest uh, Christ followers were so dedicated to Jesus that the rest of society, especially the Roman society, they didn't even know what to do with them. Like, what do we do with these crazy Christian 
people? What, what, what do we do? In fact, these early Christ followers celebrated what they called love feasts and where they partook of the body and blood of Christ. And the Romans at the time were really concerned about this because they were concerned that Christians were maybe cannibalistic or something and they couldn't understand it. These first Christians did amazing things like sell everything that they had and gave all of it to the poor, all in Jesus' name. And they perhaps would skip meals so the homeless guy could have one. And because of this, many people thought the early Christians were maybe a little off. Maybe they were a little crazy. In fact, a name started to pop up for them, a nickname. They would say, you know what? Those Christ follower people, those people, they're just a bunch of holy fools. They're just a bunch of holy fools. They are religious fools. They follow this Jesus guy, and they think he died and he resurrected, and they are just fools. And I wonder if God is calling us to the same thing. Could God be calling you and me to be holy fools today? Is it possible that we can be holy fools? Is it possible that we can be so crazy for Jesus, so in love with Jesus that we are willing to do anything at all for the sake of the gospel? Is that possible? possible. You know, perhaps this morning, that is why God has us here. To say, hey guys, let's get a little crazy. Let's get a little foolish. Let's go change the world. How might God be calling you and me to be holy fools this morning? What would that look like? What would it look like to step off the path of the American dream for a little bit and then to follow Jesus and carry that cross? What would that look like in our lives? You know, perhaps this morning you're here and you're just not even sure if you buy into this whole Jesus thing. You're just not sure. Is it possible that God has you here in this moment, in this place, to hear this thing so that maybe, just maybe, you could make the biggest foolishness out of yourself of all time and actually believe? Is that possible? To say that maybe this Jesus story is my story and I can find myself in it. Just maybe. And perhaps you're here this morning and you would say, you know, I'm more of a, I'm a seasoned saint. I've been doing this for a while. What is the next step for you and for me? How incredible would it be if our church became known as the foolish church in the Magic Valley? How incredible would that be? Wouldn't it be amazing if our church was known as being that church that's just way too generous? This church is way too generous. Wouldn't it be amazing if our church was known as being just a little bit too caring for the poor in our community? We just cared too much about those folks. And it was weird to everyone else. How crazy would it be if most people looked at us and they said, these people are just a little bit too crazy about this Jesus guy. They are just a little bit too crazy. Imagine the change that could happen to this magic valley if we were all like that. It could change the world. Don't you think? You see, the greatest compare and contrast that I can think of isn't found in the Proverbs. The greatest compare and contrast is found in my life and it's found in your lives. We're gonna be fools for Jesus and it is gonna look way different than what everyone else is doing. And it is going to change the world. Can I get an amen for that? Let's pray.
God, we are thankful that um, you do things a little differently. You don't do things like business as usual. And God, we are thankful for the foolishness of the cross. That you are willing to just give it all, become nothing, so that we could become something. God, we pray that your spirit come upon us. And God, we pray that your spirit make us fools for you, where we are radically different. And the whole world can't help but just watch and maybe see you through it. God, we love you. All in Jesus' name. Amen.